Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Judy Markowitz with the Energized Realty Group in Flushing, New York. Last year, she closed 174 transactions with a total sales volume of $108 million. Her average sales price was $625,000, of which 47% were buyers and 53% were sellers. She operates a team with 14 members, three buyer specialists, two listing specialists, one team manager, one marketing manager, one prospecting assistant, one head administrative coordinator, two administrative assistants, one director of first impressions, one courier, and one team leader. Judy is the team leader of the Energized Realty Group. She's been an agent for 27 years and works the Northeast Borough of Queens in New York City. In this call, Judy talks about growing up in a housing project and starting work at 15 years old. Her turning point decision to stop paying the world and have the world pay her. Why she borrowed $1,000 to start her career and what she invested in. Mentoring with her first broker, doing whatever he said and putting in overtime. How she gets 67% of her business by repeating referrals from her small list of 560 past clients and sphere of influence. Her VVIP program, why she set it up, who gets in, and how she makes it work. Quiet leads, what are they, and how she benefits. Why she always wants her marketing to stand out from the crowd. Her annual ice cream social event that kicks off the summer has 3,000 people attend and gets big media coverage. Why she can take three months off each year. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Judy. Hi, Mike. How are you today? I'm great, Judy. Thank you so much for joining us. Judy, before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. The truth is that I got into real estate when I was just about 23 years old. I, I feel like I'm one of the few people who who got into real estate as their first career. I know a lot of people go, um, you know, after they've had other careers, but for me, it's pretty much what I've always done. I did have a short a short business life before, um, and what I did was I went to college for about five minutes, and unfortunately, um, I was one of those 
uh, people who wasn't that prepared financially to go to the school of my choice. And it was really a big, major struggle, just like it is for kids today. Um, and I also was uh, what you might call a struggling actress, a struggling singer. And one day, um, right before I got my real estate license, and believe me, it hadn't even been on my mind, but one day I was really low on money, and I was in Manhattan, and I was probably going from either a dance class or an acting class, and I had to jump the turnstile because I had no money in my pocketbook. And at that moment in time, I decided that it was time for me to stop paying the world and for the world to start paying me. And I had been an exercise instructor in high school. Um, you know, I'm one of those kids. My parents are Holocaust survivors. So my mom handed me my working papers um, that said that I was 16 on my 15th birthday and told me, you're 16 now on paper and I want you to go and get a part-time job. And I hope for your sake that it pays well because you're going to need it for your experience expensive taste. So I, um, I got a part-time job and it, and I taught exercise and I also, um, uh, counseled people, but it was a sales position and enrolled them in weight loss programs and things like that. And I taught aerobics and signed people up at the health club and things like that. Um, so I kind of knew that I had that ability to talk to people and to get to what, I had learned was called an X factor. And when I jumped that turnstile, I said, you know, I just don't want to be doing this. I want a, I want a job where even without the education that um, I'm missing, that I can um, sort of not have that ceiling. I can just work really, really hard, learn what I need to learn and go out and um, help people make decisions. And I had the ability, that was one thing, I guess it might be innate. You might call me an old soul, but I kind of knew how to talk to people and listen to people. And someone had told me that in real estate, um, it wasn't about houses. It was all about people and figuring out who's serious and who's not and what they really want and not just what they want right in front of you, but what they want, but what they want out of their life. And they told me I would make a great listing agent because if I could sell weight loss, which was just a, it's like selling air, then I could sell myself and be a listing agent. And really the rest is history. If I recall you had even more drive. Did, did I understand correctly that you grew up in a housing project? I did, yeah. My parents um, are Holocaust, were Holocaust survivors. Unfortunately, my dad's gone. My mom is alive and well. Um, but we grew up, I grew up, I'm an, I'm an only child, and I grew up in a place called Lefrak City. And it, it's, it was a housing project, but in the early 60s, it was a very nice new housing project and of course as recent immigrants my parents were very happy 
to go there, but as many people know, in the mid to late 60s, these newer housing projects very quickly became the image of a housing project that... Um, that most people think of when they hear those words. And, you know, my parents were very, very hardworking people. Um, unfortunately, because of the war and because of the tensions that were associated with it, uh, my parents divorced when I was very young, but I continued to live with my mother in Lefrak City. And uh, to be honest with you, when my friend had told me I'd be great in real estate, the first thing I told her was, are you kidding me? I have never even been in a house. Now, I didn't live in a – we left Lefrak City when I was about 14 years old, but um, even when after I turned 14, I had really never spent any real time in a one- or two-family home. In my pre-listing package, it talks about how Judy is an apartment girl. And uh, I did not even, I'm telling you, Mike, I didn't even know what a heating system was. And I did not know how oil or gas came into play with a house. Um, so that was a pretty interesting transition to start selling properties, you know. Um, <laughs> sure. But I have to say that those are the types of experiences that I think really helped me to 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 gain some quick success in the business because from the very, very beginning, I was willing to do what other people weren't because I really didn't know anything. So the mentor that I latched onto, my first broker, who I was with for almost 10 years, um, if he told me, you know, to walk the streets uh, and knock on um, and knock on uh, some of the houses that were in uh, a less desirable part of Flushing, where I work now, because those houses were probably worth a lot more than your prettier houses because of the land value or the alternative use. Um, I just did it. Whatever he told me to do, I did. And in my first three months of business, um, I had knocked on this old lady's house and she hated realtors, but it was raining and I was very young and I didn't have an umbrella and she felt sorry for me and invited me into her house. And three days later, I listed that property with the help of my broker and it was a property that the entire market had been chasing because of its land value. And back in 1987, $880,000, which was the, the price point of that, my, of my first listing, my first written listing and sale, that was like $3 million today. Um, and it was all because he sent me out to a neighborhood to knock on doors and none of his other agents had been willing to do that. It sounds like a lot of your success is probably coming down to the fact that you're willing to do things other people aren't. I think that's a really big key to real estate success is if, if you're 
willing to do the things that other people aren't, you're going to get the results that other people aren't. And in most cases, that's a much better result. You know, um, you really don't have to reinvent the wheel, but you do have to be completely committed to the basics of what all sales are, which is reaching out to a lot of people, getting a lot of people to get to know you and, and, and make, you know, it's kind of like how many at-bats can you get and how willing are you to make the phone calls and to talk to the people. And even to this day, even this week, I've told sellers, listen, I'm not an expert on gas conversion from oil to gas or on the specific components of a home. I will leave that to the experts. Obviously, I can advise them on things, but I tell them, I don't know nearly as much about houses as I know about people, but it's the knowledge about how people behave that's going to get me to get your home successfully sold. And uh, it goes a long way, that, that willingness to let people know what you do really well, let them know what you don't necessarily do really well, but you'll make sure that they get the answers and with all, you know, with all sincerity to always be prospecting. And I think that might be one of the things that a lot of real estate agents just don't feel comfortable doing. Um, and the thing about real estate that's amazing, and I tell everybody, is that it really doesn't matter what kind of prospecting you do. You could be sale by owners. You could be cold calling. I personally love cold calling. Um, you could be calling expireds. You could be knocking on doors. You could call your sphere of influence, but you, you, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, but you've got to do some of it. And whatever it is you are doing, you've got to do that a lot. And uh, I think that's kind of a, a secret to the upbringing I had and, uh, you know, watching my parents work really, really hard um, and always wanting and always knowing that uh, I wanted even more, you know, and uh, so those are the, I'm willing to do anything within an ethical realm um, and I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to do the, those tough things um, even now, after 27 years, um, because of the goals that I have and, and the objectives I have for my family. You said you started in 1987, and so that sounds like you've been in the business about 27 years. Does that sound right? That is, yep. It's 27 years. Yeah, it's a long time. You know, the thing is that um, I'm 52, you know, and it's more than half my life. Um, and I know that to some people, you know, some people would be listening and they'd say, well, you know, after 27 years, of course, you're, um, you know, you know what you're doing and, and all those things. But the truth is, is that, um, well, you know, I'm not college educated. Um, it's one of my only regrets in my life. Um, I didn't have any business background, and I actually don't even consider myself 
a real estate agent. I consider myself a real estate agent and a business person. And, um, you know, I'm still doing the things that I was doing in my first year, two, and three. I'm still learning scripts and dialogues. I'm still um, tracking the number of phone calls that I make every day. Now, I may not make as many phone calls as I did in my first 10 or 15 years because I have a, a beautiful team that makes a lot of phone calls and I'm doing a lot of marketing and all of that. But I did all that then and I still do it now. Um, I actually still even knock on doors uh, when the weather permits me to do it because people I think really love to see people who are willing to work that hard to do business, especially when they perceive that that person is busy, but not too busy to go out and meet people. So uh, those are the kinds of things I think you have to gain a passion for. And if you don't have passion for that, then have passion for calling expireds or having client events, things like that, you know, but you've got to do those kinds of things to really do well in real estate, I believe. Judy, how many homes did you sell last year? So last year, I closed 174 properties, and I closed a sales volume of $109 million. What's really interesting, though, Mike, because I know a lot of people, they have up years and down years and, and things like that. And, you know, my first broker, the one that, the, the wonderful man that was my mentor for almost 10 years, um, he always said, Judy, there are no good markets and there are no bad markets. There are just markets. So I have always believed in that. Why? Because I don't know any better, and it's really true. I don't have to look at the economy. I don't have to worry about how this is a bad year or a good year if I just create goals every year that are higher than the goals the year before. And if I look at those goals, which I do, I carry them with me, I have them on my computer, and I have them in my day planner. If I carry those goals with me, more than likely, I will reach them. And so really, every year, we've improved the dollar volume and the number of transactions. And I'm not sure how that's possible, but it's always been true. And I think the reason it's possible is because I've committed to them in writing. So you put together your plan and your goals. What time of the year do you do that? Do you do that in December of each year? Do you do it more than once a year? I do that generally. I start in October because that's the third quarter, the beginning of the third quarter. And I look at my business just the same way as any, as I believe the big corporations look at their business, because I see that on TV. This, you know, the IBM checked their 
second quarter earnings were up, down, whatever. So I operate my business on a quarterly basis. And in the beginning of October, I look at the last three months. Um, we always have an amazing December, and I want to tell a secret to the agents and brokers that are listening that you can always have a great December if you remember that most agents are out either shopping or doing different kinds of things or partying or they're worried about December because it's the holidays and it's slow. And I tell sellers and buyers, we always have a busy December because everybody else is sleeping and we're coming in and sweeping up. So, but for counting my goals, I actually don't even count December. I look at an 11 month year. And so I start in October and I'm usually done with the goal setting by the end of November. And then I ask each one of my team members to share their goals in writing with me. I take those goals, I review them with each team member. Sometimes we modify them a little bit, either to make them more realistic or to step them up a little bit um, to create measures for the members of the team that maybe think more conservatively. And I add though, I kind of mix those in to what I planned on for the overall group. And my personal goals, of course, are part of that overall group of goal, that grouping of goals. Um, and then they're usually solid by the middle of December when I share them with the team at the last meeting of the year. But the other thing, Mike, that I do um, that might be unique is that I, I set up business goals and I also set up my personal goals, my personal goals for family, my goals for my personal well-being, my health, spirituality, um, dollar volume, of course, um, and, and sort of what I'm seeing in the next five years as well. But that's all done by the end of the year. And the only goal that I go back and revisit occasionally, um, and then that I do with the team, is whether we are on track or not on a quarterly basis with our annual goals. So we talk about what percentage of our goals, our business goals, we're on track for uh, very, very quickly. We don't do it, you know, we don't belabor it, but we go through that every month at one of our weekly meetings. So we always have our eye on the tiger. Judy, let's back up for a minute and give everybody an idea of where you are. Where is Flushing, New York? So Flushing, New York is a pretty urban area, um, especially by most people's imagination. It's a bedroom community of Manhattan, and many people that do know Flushing think of it as being a, the second largest Chinatown in New York and only the third largest Chinatown in the entire country. But the truth is that Flushing is actually much larger 
than the downtown Flushing area, which is um, made up really of a of a, of an Eastern culture. Uh, location, Chinese and Korean. In fact, part of Flushing is also uh, a, a, a Korea town, which I have heard, although I have not verified this, is the largest Korean population in the United States um, and only the second largest to Korea in, in the world. And but I have to say, but there, because a lot of times I, and this is also another, like, let's say business clue. A lot of times you'll hear me say something and something else. And that's a, that's by design in terms of uh, what I call empowering language. Because if you say, but you're almost minimizing what you said before you said the but. So you'll hear me do that a lot. But in this case, and I, I advise people to do that with buyers and sellers as well. You know, the yard is really very sweet. It's not necessarily as big as the other one. And it's easier to manage instead of, but it's easier to manage. And I just wanted to stick that in. But in this case, I will use but. But Flushing is not just uh, Chinatown and a huge Korean population. It's also a very nice area that has um, subways nearby and all that go right to the city in 15 or 20 minutes. By the city, I mean Manhattan. And also has a fantastic bus and railroad um, service so that a lot of urban professionals live in the Flushing Bayside Whitestone area, which I serve. The schools are considered excellent. Um, the population is huge. I mean, when I do a mass mailing, I am mailing out to over 30,000 households, and there's many, many, many more households than that, um, I would say that the population here overall is of the Flushing Bayside Whitestone area is somewhere near 400,000. So we're talking about a really big um, area. Uh, the one thing I will say is that the neighborhoods all have their own flavor. It's very culturally diverse. Um, and it's great for real estate because it, it really gives me the opportunity to work with a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. Can you describe for us what type of real estate is there that you're selling? Are you typically selling a, a single-family house? Is it a really dense urban area so that you're more selling apartments and condos and co-ops? What type of property are you selling? The majority of the homes that I sell are one and two family properties and what they basically look and feel like is it could be an attached home in other parts of the country this might be called a town home but in our area it's called an attached or a semi-detached home which would mean that it's an attached home on a 20 to 25 by 100 lot size sometimes smaller i'm 
selling a house right now on a 16 by 80 lot size. And believe it or not, it has a little backyard. It has two or three bedrooms. It has a living room, dining room, eat-in kitchen, a finished basement. It just happens to be attached on both sides. Or if it's a detached house, it would normally be on anywhere between a 25 by 100 to a 60 by 100 lot with many typical detached homes in the seven to $800,000 range on what you call a 40 by 100 lot, which is a very typical lot size in my area. I really work with a lot of one and two family homeowners. In fact, people call me and they say, Judy, you know, you've been doing this so long. Everybody knows you. Why don't you sell commercial real estate? It's so lucrative. And, you know, and I feel that I tell them I am your basic one and two family realtor. I love working with the people, my team, that works with me. Um, we are, we pride ourselves on being what I call residential specialists. Now we do sell co-op apartments, which is kind of like an anomaly around the, around the country. I know there's not that many co-ops. A co-op is an apartment, but instead of renting it, the buyer buys it and owns shares in the corporation, which is the building or the development. And those co-ops, what's unique about them is that you don't own real estate property, you own shares in a corporation, and you pay maintenance on top of your mortgage for the apartment. There are also a lot of condominiums in downtown Flushing, in the area that is most dense in our area. However, I don't really handle those unless they're by referral because it's a very different type of market. There's a tremendous amount of um, buyers for the condo market in downtown Flushing that are coming in from other parts of the world and purchasing. And I really love the visibility of selling one, two, and three family homes. I do sell some condos every year by recommendation, um, but the majority of my work is just being a residential specialist like, a, like there are so many across the country. And what's really interesting is a lot of the people that I work around here, um, we do a lot of really unique marketing. We have lights on our houses that light up at night. I have a moving truck. I do an ice cream event every year. I've been doing that for about 16 years now, and we have over 3,000 people come. It's all down-home stuff that a lot of agents say, oh, that wouldn't work in my area because my area is more sophisticated or my area is more like a city or my area is uh, more of a bedroom community. We are all of those things and many, many of the things that people can do in small towns work just as perfectly in larger locations because people miss that personal touch. And so I've just looked at ourselves as residential realtors and we serve the community. And, and that, that's what I really love to do.
Notice that you have this, what seems to most of the people in the U.S. as a high average price, this 629000 Is that a typical one or two family home in your area? Or did you push yourself into some type of luxury home to achieve that higher average price? I think I can answer this question best by going back to what kind of realtor I see myself as. Um, And for me, it's not, when I'm serving the public, it's not about the price of their home. When I'm creating a plan for my income and for our production, one of the ways that I'm focusing on price point is that if you work a higher point, the commission is just better. X percent of a higher number is higher than X percent of a lower number. If you find homeowners that own multiple properties, then you don't have to necessarily prospect as many new people. Um, But I would say Part of the reason that number is high is because I don't specialize in co-ops and condos. I do sell co-ops and condos, but only by recommendation. And if someone really wants me, I will work for them And um, because I know that they want me. And if I can create a raving fan out of them, they'll refer me to other people who might have higher price points. I would say to you that it's not as much a function of the market, although house prices in our area, I think right now the average house price in our area is somewhere between, and you know, I don't, to tell you the truth, I don't worry so much about what MLS is doing or what the averages are. I just focus, I I guess that's the thing, I'm pretty intense. So I just focus on what we're doing. Um, I would say the average price range for right now, if you combine co-ops, condos, and houses, is somewhere around 500000 somewhere maybe between five and 550 from what I can see. Um, I just have a higher price point because I really focus on selling one- and two-family homes And for example, that attached house on the 16 by 80 lot size without a garage, without a driveway, with just a backyard is going in the 490s. A detached house on a 40 by 100 lot more often than not will never go under the 660s and could go as high as 800. Do you see what I'm saying? Sure. Very good. So that gives us a good picture of of where you are in your market. What are the different ways that you're generating the leads for your business? Okay, so what I really believe is that the things that we do can work anywhere. As long as there's a neighborhood, you can do anything that we've been doing because we're in such a culturally diverse area where so many people don't even speak English, and yet all of it works. And I only do marketing and promotion, quite honestly, In English, I have Asian buyer specialists that do some advertising of specific homes in language-specific papers, but other than that, everything is in English, and it still works. So one of the most important ways that I generate business for the Energized Realty Group is through um, actively 
prospecting and creating relationships with past clients and customers and our sphere of influence. And what I mean by actively prospecting is that I get a lot of repeat and referral business. I know I sent you those numbers. I don't have those right in front of me right now, but you've got those numbers. And I'm calling those people regularly. I am calling to see how are you doing and what's going on. And and I generally... Um, know how many children they have because I have a VVIP program and I ask people, we send surveys out when a seller is listed with me or a buyer is buying with us, I send them current listing surveys or current buyer surveys and then we send them closing surveys and we include a VVIP form and we get a very high return on those VVIP forms because we're, we start talking about wanting to create raving fans and that our goal is to make you a VVIP. Very early in the process, we explain to people what a VVIP is, that they're people that are very special to us, people that refer business to us, people that have done more than one unit of business with us. And because of that, uh, we treat them the way they want to be treated. And at the end, we're going to ask you to fill out a VVIP form. We want to know your birthday. We want to know what your favorite beverages. We want to know when your anniversary is and they'll get something from me for their wedding anniversary. They'll also get something from me for their house anniversary and each seller and buyer become a VVIP. I call it in my in-house, I call it that they're a VVIP on probation for a year. And if during that year I can turn them into a VVIP, which means either that they have referred business to me and done business with me. That's two. Or sometimes I'll meet people who never have done business with me, but we've been talking about real estate or they've come up to me at the ice cream event. We've talked a little bit. I've gotten their name and address. I put them into the VVIP a database, and they're on VVIP probation for a year too. But of course, I don't have their anniversaries yet, things like that. And then I call them. And if they refer business to me, but have never done business with me, they become a VVIP. Or if they do business with me more than once, then they are a VVIP. But all buyers and sellers become a VVIP for the first year. And that's when I continue that cultivation, asking for referrals, calling them for their wedding anniversary. Some, a lot of times I'll call the husband for the wedding anniversary five to seven days before their anniversary just to wish them a happy upcoming anniversary um, because sometimes the husband forgets the anniversary, you know, so I'm the one that's reminding them of that. And so that creates the relationship. And through that, um, I don't know exactly what it is, but I think we've done about 40% of our business in repeat and referral business. But my mentor, who trained me for my first nine and a half years, always told me, Judy, if you're only doing referral business, you're not doing enough business. 
I do a lot of business through my signs. And the reason for that is from a very early time in my career, I always wanted to zig when other people were zagging. So what does that mean? It means that I wanted my signs to look different. I was the first person in my market to put a picture on my sign. And then after I put the picture on my sign, and now we have these really beautiful signs, they're bigger than all the other signs because, you know, um, I'm not shy. I think in real estate, you can be a person who is more subdued because I don't think anyone would call me subdued, but you can be very successful, but you have to do, yeah, it all goes back to what we talked about before. You have to be willing to do what other people are not willing to do. Now I have lights at night on my signs. We use sold riders that are different. My sold riders say, sold, Judy did it again, or I'm sold on Judy, sold in less than 30 days, you know? And so the public sees these and people call. We get a lot of sign calls from prospective buyers. We get so many calls that we could never have enough inventory for the amount of calls that we get. But then we have systems to continue staying in touch with those people. And I get a lot of seller calls from the signs. And I would urge anybody, unless your town prohibits it, make your sign just a little bigger. Don't be a secret agent. Put your picture on the sign. It really is all about you when it comes time for someone to buy or sell a home. They need to feel like they know you, even if they don't know you. And some people won't like you. Some people don't like me. Um, but that's okay, because most people love me. And the people that don't like me or feel that I'm too out there or whatever the case may be, that's more about them. And in fact, they're doing me a favor because it's just that much easier to find the people who do like you or who do feel that they might like to do business with you. So the signs are another way. We're very, very in touch with our internet presence. We make sure that our pictures are up to date, that there's no glitches. I have an in-house marketing manager um, that really takes care of that. But I want to step back a little bit because when people are listening to tapes like this, I think they want to know, okay, that's how you do it now, but how did you do it then? When I did it then, which was a long time ago, you know, it, within a month of when I went into real estate, I borrowed a thousand dollars. I didn't. I was jumping turnstiles. I didn't have a, a pot to put my food in, if you know what I'm talking about. At one point, and I borrowed a thousand dollars to go to an educational seminar, and I decided that I was going to learn every single script. I was going to be the one that stood up on stage and did the script in front of the 500 people, not because I wanted to be a star out in Scottsdale, Arizona in within one month, but because I wanted to go back and list property. I wanted to go back and have clients, and I didn't have the experience to do that. I had to get the education, and I had to have the enthusiasm and the energy and that's how I became the energized realtor and the energized realty group and the truth is 
anyone can do those things. In 1995, when the Internet was hardly something we were talking about, I spent $700. It was a lot of money. I think it might have even been more to just get a little one-page website. Nobody had one, but I knew that if I was going to be in it for the long run, I better be the first. And now we have a beautiful website and we're developing a Chinese website for the Asian market because we know that that will be the first to do that in the right way because a lot of people do these different language websites, but they're really just translations. And believe me, the Asian market laughs at those websites um, because they're just incorrect. They're just not even, they're not English, nor are they Chinese. So we're working on that. It's taken us time, but we will be the first to do that. Um, And you have to have, it all goes back to guts, no guts, no glory. You can't just keep saying, you know, um, I don't have the money for that or that's not my style. I don't like to learn scripts and dialogues. Those are the things that help you have a consistent track record in the market. And then when you have a consistent track record in the market, that's when people don't doubt you so much. That's when they're more inclined to pay you a better fee for service. That's when they know that you have the credibility and that that listing interview is a two-way street. I'm interviewing them and they're interviewing me. But to be honest with you, from the very beginning, I had a mindset that I would fake it until I made it. So I would go in and I would say, even when I was just to one year in the business, I would say, if we decide to work with each other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was never, if you give me the listing, it, will always, it was always to create an even playing ground, even though I actually had nothing to offer except energy and enthusiasm. I always wanted people to perceive me in a way that would show value to them. And these are all the scripts and dialogues that I still use today. But Judy, you, you mentioned that the majority of your business is coming from the past clients and sphere of influence. Let's talk about that, dig into that a little bit more. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? My database of past clients and let's say past clients, customers, and VVIPs, because it, they don't necessarily have to have been buyers or sellers to become a VVIP, you know what I'm saying, Um, is somewhere in the vicinity of 560 people. But you have to remember that that's over the course of many, many years. Um, I had 60 VVIPs after about five years. I didn't call them VVIPs yet because I didn't yet have the system, but I was always courting people for referrals. I never believed, and I still don't believe, that people just have you in their mind all the time and they're just compelled to talk about you at the dinner table. I just feel like people are just too busy for that to just have one good experience with you and then sing your praises forever. So I, so I always was calling people after 
they bought or sold with me. I always sent thank you notes to the attorneys and asked them if they would keep the good service that I gave in mind if they had clients that they could refer to me. I always was willing to do a market appraisal for an attorney, even if the people weren't going to sell or even if the people weren't going to use me. I always felt like if I was willing to do those things, that eventually the reciprocity would kick in. Um, I send five to eight thank you notes every day. There's always people to thank for something. And a lot of times it's about those little things that impress people and keep you in their mind. Um, So that's a great way to do your business from the very beginning. I have a guy that called me two days ago. He had recommend, he works for sanitation and he had met me somewhere. Like maybe he met me on the street with sanitation and we were talking and chatting and he said he saw my signs and, and I said, that's so great. And they're doing such a great job. And he called me and he gave me what I call a quiet lead. He told me who he recommended And he um, told me that he can't give me their number, but that they were going to call me. And then in a period of time, they did call me. I had his number and I called him and I told him that they hired me and I appreciated him so much. And um, he called me the other day and he told me about other people that he's actually recommended me to. It's not just a quiet lead. It's a referral. I work with a lot of mailmen who have become my VVIPs. I have three or four mailmen. I'm just really, you know what? The bottom line is if you're good to people, they're going to be good to you. And I chat with them and I speak with them. And sometimes I take pizza to them at the mail house or give a gift to somebody if they've been really nice to me or I'll send them to the movies. And those are things I really believe that those are things that make people think that you're amazing. <laughs> and, and then they recommend you, you know, so it's over 550, but it could start very, very small. It could start my ice cream event the first year was only about 100 people, and I didn't get any business from it right after that. Now, my summer depends on the success of that ice cream event, but it's a matter of being willing to do things to, to make people see that you're not just after the next deal, but that you really are serving people and that you care about them. Judy, you've mentioned the VVIP multiple times, and uh, help us out. What, what do those letters mean? Uh, VIP is a very important person. What's the extra V at the beginning? So V is very, very important person. Ah, <laughs> okay, very good. so that's very, very, very important person, and we have an in-house mission statement, and these are all things that add to team building, too, and or to any business building. So we have an in-house mission statement that says, work hard, have fun, make money, do good. So our VVIPs 
are the ones that we believe have really felt that mission. That's our internal mission statement. Our external mission statement, you know, is that our mission is to listen and respond to every client and customer's needs in a highly energized manner to exceed their expectations. Simply put, we don't have satisfied customers. We create raving fans and raving fans are who our VVIPs are. And those are the people that I do, I work very hard along with the rest of my group to learn what they like, to find out when their birthdays are, to make sure that we know if they have small children, when their children's birthdays are, to make sure that they're invited to, everyone in the community is invited to the ice cream event, but they get a special invitation to the ice cream event. They get a phone call as well telling them that we really would love to see them. We hope they'll come. They're the ones that are invited if I have a VVIP party. Now, I haven't had a VVIP party recently, but I do a VVIP pie event every year and that's a small thing because years ago when I was a single agent I went out and I bought 60 jelly belly jars and I ran out to people's houses and delivered the jelly belly jars now we do that was for Valentine's Day now we don't do that now we do a pie giveaway but it's only for VVIPs so they're invited to that um, you know if I know that their favorite drink is a Starbucks you know then if they send me a referral or if they write a thank you letter after the closing or they put something up on Zillow, which is another way that we really capitalize on our, on our internet marketing, um, I'll send them two Starbucks certificates and I'll write in the note, I want you to have your favorite coffee on me. They'll get a birthday card with the whole team's picture on it holding a birthday cake and they'll get a coupon to go to Carvel and pick up one of those mini birthday cakes and they might get a phone call from me on their birthday I'll leave a message on their machine if they're not home but you can feel when people welcome you and that's what you want to do you want to create raving fans so that when you call them they welcome you. And those are people that sometimes I say to them, listen, you guys, um, I have so many great people who want to buy a home, but I need more property. And I really, really need you to spread good rumors about me and see if you can recommend me to somebody. And by the way, if you do recommend me to somebody, give me a call and let me know who they are. And if it's appropriate, I'll call them and you can tell them it's better if Judy calls you because she'll introduce herself. She will give you all the information you need. Um, she is not going to want you to uh, list your house or do anything like that. She's just calling you to discuss your real estate situation. Um, and that goes a long way. Sometimes, I do end up calling the people that are recommended. Sometimes they call me and they say, Judy, you know, don't tell them that I said, but these people, I think they're thinking you might just want to give them a call. 
you know, and that's a raving fan too. Somebody that's willing to help you build your business. I really like how you help your raving fans with sending you a referral by giving them an outline of what you expect and how the process works. You give them a framework to work within to help you and, of course, to help them as well because they'll feel good giving a referral that works out. And the other thing is, is that if they do send me a referral or a quiet lead, as I mentioned earlier, I will always call them and send them a thank you with a little small something after I make contact. It's not when I get the job, I would do that as well, but I will always let them know what happened if and when I meet the buyer or seller or if and when I make contact. So it keeps them involved, you know. It's kind of like Microsoft. Microsoft, when they first started, I read a book about this, so I'll just synopsize it. When they first started, they asked their viewership to go in and tell them what they liked about it and what they didn't like. And when they changed it, they let those people know that they, they reviewed it because of those suggestions that were made, and that created an affinity between the people that were starting to use Microsoft and Bill Gates, you know what I'm saying? And that's how he built his business, by getting people to feel like they had a piece of it. It was a, it was a part of them. So the VVIPs who recommend me or who tip me off, they, I ask them to call me back and let me know who they talk to me about. If it's possible, I'll, they'll give me their number or they'll give me their address. I have a lot of like great letters that I've created over the years um, that address different situations. If they don't want me to disclose that it was them, I don't. And if they do want me to, then I will. But in every case, I will get back to the person and let them know, listen, I met with I met with Mr. Bradley and we had a really good talk and uh, it looks like he's going to hire me and I, I just love you for letting me know what was going on over there, you know? And uh, so those are the things that really help, is uh, creating relationships. What can I say? Judy, you mentioned a few times the ice cream event and how it's become a, a cornerstone of your business. Could you please describe to us when the event happens, what happens in the event, and how you promote it? Okay. So what I love about it now is its consistency. So we do it. I've been doing it for 16 years, okay? So the first year, it was just about 100 ice creams. you know what I'm saying? And now it's over 3,000. And, uh, you know, the second largest New York City newspaper covered it in their cover story of the real estate section a few years ago, you know? So it's become a pretty big deal, right? So what it is is we do it always on the last day of public school. So that's sort of a memory peg for the community, that it's always on the last day of public school. And we used to do it with an ice cream truck that I rented, and we drove around, I, you know, the ice cream guy drove around this little neighborhood, 
and gave out ice cream cones and we would send out postcards and I would call behind the postcards and I would be there and I'd always wear some sort of, you know, I've always sort of, I think that's the other thing is that you have to really make a commitment for what you want your business to look like. If you want to sell 15 or 20 houses a year and you want to do it in a very low-key, dignified, corporate type of manner, then that's what you should do. And you should do it really well and you should manage your time to do it so that you can do a lot of other amazing things, you know. But if you want to have what I call a big business in a small in a small area, in, in other words, in a small office with very few people. I, I kind of like to think, I, I call it like this, that the Energized Realty Group is like a really fat lady in a very, very tight girdle. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> because we do a lot. It looks like we're really big and we're really small. You know, out of the 14 people on the group, there are only six of us that are licensed listing specialist or buyer specialist on a full-time basis. So that's very few people doing a very large amount of business. So I always looked at it like it was big. You know what I'm saying? So... With the ice cream event, the idea is is to reach a lot of people. So we send out the postcards. We call behind the postcards. We greet the people. We have shelf life items. Even when it was the first year, I always had some sort of shelf life item. I always had, I always was wearing a t-shirt. In the beginning, I couldn't afford, you know, the t-shirts. But I gave away, I wore a t-shirt and I gave away a t-shirt. Then the next year, if the kids wore their t-shirt from the year before, then they got an, a prize for wearing the t-shirt. So each year, we build on it. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. I'm trying to get a picture of this event now. You said that originally it was a truck going around the neighborhood. Is it now at your office or in a parking lot? Now we rent out the local Carvel. We have a Carvel a block from my office. And the gentleman that owns the Carvel is just a, a wonderful, wonderful guy. And we've been for the last, I'm trying to think how long it's been. It's probably been at least 10 years now that I rent out the Carvel office. And by the way, something I want you to be aware of is that, you know, now I'm the rainmaker for the Energized Realty Group, which is a small boutique company, like I said, a fat lady in a tight girdle. But when I first had the ice cream event, 
I was an agent in an office on a very modest split, but I knew that the only way I could create the business that my vision held was to think big. So now we rent out the Carvel. The owner of the Carvel gives us a very, very good deal. And he closes the car. He doesn't close the Carvel because the, the ice cream event is open to everybody. But if somebody comes in for an ice cream sundae, he says to them, uh, well, first of all, you can't miss it. There's 3,000 people. You know, in a, in a five-hour period, there's over 3,000 people. So the person might walk in, not know what's going on necessarily. And if we haven't gotten to them to greet them first, when they go up to the counter and they want, you know, six Sundays, then one of the kids who works at Carvel, who's wearing one of our shirts, because I give them a new shirt every year, they say, oh, today's ice cream is on Judy Markowitz of the Energized Realty Group. We're not giving out Sundays, but you can have six free ice cream cups or cones. And they're like, what's going on? And then one of us, because we're also in a different color T-shirt, we go over to the person and we tell them what they're doing. But to tell you the truth, I've been doing it so long and on the same day every single year and with postcards sending out and then calling people. You asked me what calling behind looks like. The postcards go out to an entire community. Okay, so they go out to actually they go out to two entire communities. So that's probably about 8000 homes. Okay, maybe not quite that many. And they also go out to our VVIPs and they also go out to my contact manager database. So including those VVIPs, I have about 1600 people in the database. A lot of them are out-of-towners, but they get invited anyway, and some of them actually come back to town if they live, let's say, out on Long Island or in New Jersey. It's a great day for them to come back to town, visit their grandchildren, and bring them to the ice cream event. You know what I'm saying? And then we only call the ice cream event, we only call behind the postcards to the VVIPs. I also put posters out, beautiful posters. It's better to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission because in New York City, you're not really supposed to put out posters. But I put them out a day or two before and then we run out and we take them down. You know what I'm saying? And I put the posters and flyers into my VVIP vendors businesses. I asked them if I can put the flyers in front of their counter because we're having the, the big ice cream event. And of course, they want to be part of that because I have good credibility. I, have a, I, I do a, a lot of marketing. And if they're connected to me, I don't pay them. They don't pay me. But if they're connected to something that is such a feel-good event, it makes people feel good about them too. And those vendors are also my VVIPs. And what do I mean by vendors? The dry cleaner, the nail salon, the hair cutter. Those are all what I call my B team. And my B team is also a part of my VVIPs. So, so many people find out about the event, but the VVIPs are specially invited. 
and we also attach ourselves. Every year it gets a little better. Like now we also attach ourselves to a charity and we do a 50-50 raffle, which was very successful. And then we give away a ton of money to one person at the end of the evening and we give the other 50% to the charity. Those are the ways it's grown, but it never could be where it is now if it wasn't for the first year when there was less than 100 people. Judy, I don't want to lose the opportunity to ask you more about your team. You've mentioned them a few times. The first thing I'd like to do is get a big picture of your team. Could you walk through for us the people on your team? Sure, absolutely. So I will start with the listing specialists, okay? I go out on interviews to speak with sellers, and I am at the point in my career and have been for many, many years that I'm looking to grow people. My best VVIPs and my best clients in my mind and my heart are the members of the Energized Realty Group because I love them. They work really, really hard, and they should be rewarded for that work. So my real role here is to love my people and to make it rain. That being said, I still do go out on listing appointments, and I actually call them employment appointments because it really is a job interview. And the two listing specialists that also go out on listing appointments are both um, young people who worked with me as buyer specialists for many years before they moved in to the role as listing specialists. So we get a seller call or we make a prospecting call that at some point becomes a seller and one of the three of us goes out on that meeting. And whenever possible, it will either be Anthony or Tim because they know the market. They know all about the Energized Realty Group. They know how to explain what Judy does and that Judy is the rainmaker and the master marketer and that they will always be working with me to make sure that the transaction for the seller goes seamlessly and they go out on those appointments and they go and they, and they telephone prospect. They also knock on doors along with me. They're also building the energized realty groups sphere of influence. And some of those are theirs, but they're part of the energized realty groups. Um, And they were both buyer specialists for many years, and then they moved up to listing specialists. Then there's three buyer specialists, and the buyer specialists are really that. They specialize in knowing the inventory in the market like the back of our hand, knowing the inventory that the listing specialists and I bring in even better than that. They need to know everything about the properties that we are employed to sell. Some of them work language specific. All of them work with anybody that wants to buy a home, but some of them work more language specific because there's a need 
for it in our marketplace. And they take all the buyer calls. They work with the buyers, email them new properties coming on the market or prepare them for a property that I've mentioned to them I might be putting on the market in the near future and sort of get them salivating and get them, you know, creating the buzz for the property that's going to be coming. We also have a sign. I put up a sign anywhere between two days and three weeks before I actually will have a house list. Uh, I already have the listing, but before it hits the market, and it's my for sale sign, and underneath it, it says coming soon. It's like a take on the movies. You know, you go to the movies, coming attractions, and you nudge your husband or wife. You say, oh, I want to see that. So I put a coming soon sign. So when we get that sign up, we start to get calls on it. So they field those calls and find out if those people are A buyers. And if they are A buyers, they get them in when we start showing the property, but they build the excitement. They hold the open houses. I don't believe in open houses weekend after weekend. I think it makes the house sale, but we always have an open house the first weekend on the market, and we always do it on Saturday and Sunday because it's a great way to create buzz, and it's a great way to feel with working people. We have a lot of people who are culturally diverse, and they work Saturdays and Sundays. So if they come on a Saturday and then they come back on a Sunday, we know they might be real. You know what I'm saying? It's easier to tell. They do all the follow-up calls with the buyers after the open house, and they cultivate those customers. They're also talking to so many people who either call in on the sign, the Internet, or any other source, and they also call old buyers from other months to see who might be more serious and ready at this time. Then I have my team manager, and she basically makes sure that all the internal operations are running properly, that the signs are ordered up, if they're hanging, that she orders, you know, sometimes we have a storm, we had a lot of storms. So to make sure that our image is amazing, that the signs are in good order, that the lights are working, if we needed to scan and email some information to somebody, she makes sure that gets done. She does my market appraisals because to be honest with you, I'm an old lady and with all the changes, not that I'm an old lady, I'm 52, but to be honest with you, I'd rather be talking on the phone to calling 50 people in one hour than fooling around on the computer because I just don't know the computer as well as she does. So she makes sure that the, my appraisals are done. The listing specialists do their own because they're both extremely computer literate. I'm kind of at that point where I just love the people. I don't even want to get better at the computer. Maybe that's bad, but I think that's one of the things that I shared with you earlier is that you really have to find out what you do well and then do a lot of it and not necessarily all the other stuff. And a lot of people say, but I have to do the paperwork, but I have to do my own appraisal. I have to do this. I have to do it myself. The truth is, is that if your dollar per hour productivity is not what it would be 
because you're doing things that someone else can do that you can pay, then you're not going to be able to increase either your income or more than likely your name and your brand and your credibility because you're too busy doing things that are not the things you should be doing, like meeting face-to-face with people, being on the phones, going on appointments, calling people to see how they're doing and asking them to help you build your business. So hiring someone, you know, maybe you just need one assistant, you know, maybe you just need one assistant part-time, 15 hours a week. Always pay them better than the going rate because they will appreciate that and they will help you double your income just by how it elevates you when you get your first team member. So Jenna makes sure that everything is going great. She goes even to make sure that the office looks good and that agents are being gotten back to. Sometimes we have multiple offers. She happens to be licensed even though she doesn't sell or list. So she can call the agents. If I'm in a multiple bid situation, I can't talk to everybody or get back to people as quickly as I would like. I'm a real believer in getting back to people as quickly as possible because it leads to people being more trusting of you, knowing that you care about them, not that you're making them wait a day or two to hear them. And the only way they know you're hearing them is if you get back to them, you know? So she does everything. I can't live without her. And then I have one prospecting assistant. She was a buyer specialist for quite a while, but her situation in life has changed. So she comes in twice a week and she just twice a week for about two hours and makes phone calls and she's wonderful on the phones and she also has a sphere of influence that she taps into and she also acts as a backup for our buyer specialist because sometimes we're getting so many calls that the three buyer specialists just can't do it or we're having a fourth open house so she'll do that and she gets her compensation for that. Then we have a marketing manager I mentioned. She creates all my postcard marketing, all my letters. Um, She works on uh, making our archives, our postcard archives beautiful, tracking my internet marketing, watching that there are no glitches on our site. She's helping to create the Chinese website even though she's not Chinese. She's overseeing it. She makes sure that if I want something different on my sign or we need new business cards, she does everything marketing. We have a director of first impressions. She is what other people might call a receptionist, but you see the perception that anyone would get when you say she's my director of first impressions. She makes sure we have flowers. She answers the phone with an it's my pleasure attitude. She looks beautiful. She speaks beautifully. She cares about everything. She makes sure that the agents who call in have accurate information, that any phone call comes in is taken care of quickly and goes to the right person. We have an administrative coordinator who really assists the team manager to make sure that the 
the property information is correct, that the pictures of the houses look good. Sometimes they go out and take the pictures. Mostly my marketing manager does that because she's wonderful with a camera. She majored in photography and marketing in school, and they do a lot of the data entry. I don't even want a lot of my buyer and listing specialists doing the data entry because I want them doing work that generates more business for themselves and for the energized realty group. Some of them are so fast. You know how kids are these days. They're so fast on the computer that it's so easy for them that if they want to do it, they can do it. But there's always somebody to do that data entry for them and to make sure that our files are in order. And then I have this wonderful older gentleman who's been with me for 10 years. He retired. He was a VVIP. He was one of those guys that was compelled to refer me even though he'd never done business with me. He was like the mayor of the area that he lives in. And I had found out that he was retiring and he was so excited about retiring. And then two months into his retirement, his wife suddenly passed away 10 years ago. And I saw him and I spoke to him and I said, you know, Mr. Malahi, why don't you come and work with me? Why don't you come? You can work as little or as much as you want and not in real estate, but just kind of doing things. We need you. And he's been with me 10 years and his daughter, you know, loves my husband and I because it's something that he does that he loves to do. And it's made him famous in the community because everybody's picture is in the front of my office. And if you come into the office, you don't see pictures of houses. You see pictures of all the people having fun, really beautiful professional pictures. Because to me, it's all about the people. And I have so much longevity with the members of the Energized Realty Group that I don't have a problem investing in a professional photographer every two years or so, and then blowing those pictures up and exposing them to the, to the public. You know, it gives them a feeling that we're walking the talk. So Mr. Malahi is our courier. He runs errands. He makes sure that there's no flyers or garbage in front of the houses because after all this is New York City. He checks the light bulbs in cold weather. He'll check the heating system, things like that. And then we have me and I'm the team leader, the rainmaker, and uh, I really do everything I can to make sure that everyone's productive, that everyone including the support team is growing that I'm growing and that everybody has an opportunity for growth, not only in the learning, but in their income as time goes on so that they become more and more valuable to the energized realty group. And that is one of the big ways that I think we're unique because so many agents get frustrated. Oh, my, my, I taught them everything they know and now they're leaving me and, or, you know, um, they're, you know, they're not doing as much as I'm doing. And, you know, you really have to want your people to be successful with or without you because it's good karma. And more often than not, even 
if they leave you, it's okay. They'll never be Judy Markowitz. And if they don't leave you, more likely they'll stay with you and they too become raving fans of your business. You have a really long retention record with your staff, with your team. Some of the folks have been there, if I recall, as long as 16 years. Your average is somewhere between 7 and 10. That's unheard of in the industry. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> how, how have you achieved that? What have you done to, to get folks that engaged in your business and want to stick around and want to stay and support and be part of the team? I think it's because there's always that opportunity for growth. You know, I, I come from, I, you know, I'm not trying to hold up a violin here, okay? But I come from a very basic existence. You know, I lived in a housing project. You know, my mom moved me from the housing project at the first sign of serious danger, but there was other danger before that. But the day my mother moved me was the day after something happened that could have been very, very bad for my mother's only daughter. So I did not grow up in any sort of, you know, privileged environment. And from that, I really, I'm not trying to paint the violin here or a pretty picture, but I really believe that everybody should have an opportunity to be successful, that people should get paid well, that they should have incentives, that if it's between me and them, if I can make more money, but they can make money and I can make maybe a little less money, they should make the money. If they're going to love me and work really, really hard, and be great ambassadors of the Energized Realty Group, I should be thinking of them all the time. I should be there to help them. That, and helping doesn't always mean doing it for them. It doesn't mean that at all. But I should be there to help make sure that I'm guiding them, that I'm coaching them, and that it ends up working out. Do you know what I'm saying? So they're always learning. And, you know, if we, it's big and small things, if we reach our goals one month, and we don't reach our goals every single month, you know, but if we reach our goals one month, and I'm very tough about that, it can't just be one goal, it has to be the listing appointments goal, the listings taken goal, the listing sold goal, and the buyer sales goal, it has to be all four, if we reach all our goals in that month, we could go, we could all get uh, facials, back massages, and all kinds of spa treatments at the best place in Manhattan, and we could uh, spend the day and go to the best restaurant. We could go away for an overnight trip. We've done that, and I've put them up in a beautiful place, and then they've spent two days at the beach. If we reach our goal, we could go on a huge shopping spree where they all get dollars green in an envelope before we spread out and go shopping. You know what I'm saying? Or they could get an incentive for reaching their own personal goals at that month. I try to be 
very aware of how hard they're working and how much money they're making because New York's expensive and people need to feel like they're financially successful. Of course, not everybody feels that way all the time. There's all of the stuff sometimes people think I should be this or I should be that. But when that happens, we sit down and we talk it through. It's not my way or the highway. You know what I'm saying? And I think they feel that I love them. I also think they feel that I challenge them, that a lot of time I'm very, can you tell that I'm hard on myself? <laughs> sure. Can you? I'm very hard on myself and they know that. So they know that there isn't anything that I would ask them to do that I wouldn't do myself. And in fact, if they don't do it, I will do it. So they're willing to do things. It all goes back to the beginning, right? They're willing to do things that they never would have thought they would be willing to do, but they know it works, so they're willing to do it. You know what I'm saying? So that's what it's, I think, about. Every week we have a contest. It's a script-off contest. It's not a big deal. At the end of a quarter, someone will win a couple of hundred dollars. But it's fun, and it makes them learn. They're embarrassed. They have to put money in the pot if they don't learn something. And then every week we choose who the winner is. One winner from the support team where they teach a system or learn a script that's good for their side of the business and one winner for the sales end of things. And then those winners, they either get a Starbucks or a car wash or they take, or those two, they go out for lunch and they share ideas on me, you know? So it's all of that stuff. It's the hard stuff too, because I can be a slave driver, but I also really care about them. And I know that those that are driven by money will make a lot of money. And those that are not necessarily driven by money will get the job satisfaction and the growth that they've been looking for in their business lives, you know? So I think that's the big secret is to really love your team. Love your team like you love your children. I want, I'm, I would rather my daughter have all the good in the world and me have no good in the world than me have the good and her not have the good. And to a large extent, that's the same way I feel about the members of the Energized Realty Group. I want them to be successful. I believe if they're successful, they will love me back. For the most part, they will stay. And if they're successful, I'm very successful. You're leading by example. The reason that they're willing to try new things and to push forward is they know that you're speaking from experience that you've done it before, and in fact, you're willing to do it right now. You'll, you'll jump right in there and pick up the phone if necessary. Yes, I absolutely will. I mean, about two weeks ago, one of my best buyer specialists was away on vacation, and she had done what's called a buyer conversion to a seller. And this is a, this is a fun story because I really enjoyed it. So she will get rewarded for that. 
right? But she was away on vacation. So, and I would have gone out on the appointment anyway for the, for the employment because she's a buyer specialist, you know? So they hired me to sell their house, okay? And then it turns out that I had sold the husband's father's house many years ago, but I had not known that and they had not mentioned that till I got there. So I listed their house. They wrote an offer on the other house. And then over those next few days, we were wrapping things up as it were, you know, getting their house sold with very little risk because the buyers were putting down over 80%. So, you know what I'm saying? They were going for little more than a personal loan. And then I was wrapping their sale up. And instead of calling or calling them in or emailing or faxing or any of that, I was in my running clothes and I decided I wanted to wrap this all up tonight. So I went to the gym. I took both binders with me because here we have contracts with attorneys. These are just written proposals. And I knocked on the seller who's also a buyer's door and I said, hey, you guys, I got to come in. And I sat down and I wrapped that up and then I they paid more for the other house and I said, okay, you guys, I'll do my best. And I went to the other guy's house and he's a young guy. So I texted him. I said, I want to stop by. Now it's 10 to nine on a Wednesday night. I say, Hey Nick, I want to stop by. Can I? He's like, yeah, I'm home. You can stop by. And as soon as I get the text, I ring the doorbell and I went in and I said, Hey Nick, I'm here. I sit down. He laughs. And I say, before we go any further, I just want to tell you one thing. All I want you to say is yes. Can you say yes? He's like, yes. I says, say yes again. He says, yes. I said, okay, I'm going to show you something right now. And it's not exactly what you want, but I need you to say yes. Promise me you'll say yes. He's like, Judy, I can't promise you I'll say yes. I said, yes, you must say yes. So I show it to him. And he says, okay, yes, yes, Judy, you know, and it's done. And I would not have necessarily done that. I would have asked the member of my team to do it, and she would have been amazingly equipped to do it. But they know that if they're not there, I'll take care of it for them. But they also know that if I'm not there, I expect them to take care of it and get it done. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. So there's a level of excellence that they, they know about. They see that and they are willing to do that. And, you know, I'm always, I'm like Oprah Winfrey. I'm very, very lucky because I know how to recognize the it factor. And then I want to nurture it to death. Everybody laughs. Everyone in my community laughs because they say that, you know, I only hire like good looking people, <laughs> you know, but it's not because they're all good looking. It's because they all have, they all know how to carry themselves. They all know how to speak. I was blessed with the ability to find people like that. They're better than me. And then all you have to do when you find the people with the it factor is take good care of them. And then it's a win-win situation. Judy, you've mentioned the team and all these events that you're doing and a lot of activity. There are going to be agents listening. They're going to have a question. They want to know, are you profitable? Absolutely. I asked my husband. My husband does all my books. 
okay? I want to be honest, I'm not the numbers person here. You could tell that I'm kind of really driven. I'm, I'm very serious. I, I, people have told me that I'm very intense. You know, I love my business, but I'm not looking at everything every single day. And I admire those people who do. I'm looking at every day, are we listing something? Are we selling something? Are we closing something? And if we're doing all those things every day, we're going to be fine. You know what I'm saying? But I speak with my accountant at least once a month, and I speak with my team manager and my husband who handles all the finances, and we're profiting at about 40 to 45%. And this includes everything. This includes our operating expenses for the business. We happen to own our building, but we still have a mortgage. We do get a little bit of rental income with two small apartments above our building. It includes the salaries and the hourly wages, the telephones, the marketing expenses, the postage, the fees that we pay out to the licensed people, all the bonuses, all the perks, Pretty much everything that you could think of, including my husband's salary, and I'm pretty sure that he pays me a salary, although I let him handle everything, so that's where trust will get you. Um, so it really covers everything, and we're profiting at about 40 to 45 percent. Um, we're spending somewhere in the vicinity of 50 in a in a really in a really lean year, we're spending up to 60% of our gross to run the business, but we're still netting 40%. And in a year where we're really cooking and we can shave some marketing expenses off of our business because we're just so busy, like the year we just had and the year we're having now, we're spending just about 55% and sometimes just a little bit less than that. But the bottom line is that at whatever level you're at, whether you're a single practitioner, you have one team member, or whether you have 10 or 20 team members, it costs money to make money. And the truth is that if you're going to have a profitable business, you have to keep your eye on the tiger, what I, what I said earlier, but you also have to be fearless. You have to be willing to take risks. And some of those risks are going to be financial. In the beginning, when I was building my business and even through the 10th or 15 years when I still wanted to become the energized realty group, the name that everybody knew, I was willing to spend more money because I knew that the vision was that everyone would at least know me and the group and have a, a real strong impression of us, whatever that impression was. And that impression costs time, money, and energy to capture. That's fantastic. That's net profit margin, 40 to 45%. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, and, and the thing is, is, you know, just to keep growing. Well, Judy, what drives you? 
You know, it's so funny because somebody else asked me this question very recently. And I know that one really great answer would be, you know, the people and, and, um, and I love helping people and, and all of that. But the truth is that the people in my client and customer base, they come and go and I love them and, and I definitely love the idea that for our team, it's not just about the money, it's about the, the community and, and my commitment to people. But the real thing that drives me is the vision that I always had from when I was a little girl um, of what I wanted my life to be like. And it's not like I wanted to be rich and famous. It's just that I wanted to have a lot of choices. Even before I ever got married, when I was just in my early 20s, I knew somehow, I have that old soul, that I wanted to have a child. And I wanted that child to have all the choices he or she could have. I wanted to be able to pay their way through college and for them to go to a college without looking at the price tag. I wanted them not to have to quit school because they ran out of money like I did. I wanted that house on the water. It didn't have to be a fancy house. It just had to be give me an amazing feeling. And today we have that little house on the water on the Connecticut shoreline. And it was one of those things that I saw that I someday would figure out a way to do it. Whether I was educated or not, I would find the right husband and he would fit in that house and I would have a child and I would, and I would be able to give him or her anything they needed. And it's not like I wouldn't teach them the work ethic because I believe very strongly that that was the best education I got from my parents is not to have a lot. And I look to teach that to my daughter, but that's really what drives me. The vision of that I'm willing to do things because I have a vision of what my life, and right now, because I'm in my early 50s, of what my second half looks like. And those are really the things that drive me. And the second thing, honestly, that drives me is my team. They're mostly made up of young or young at heart people. And I just love watching them grow and watching them take challenges and do the things and behave the way that other agents in my marketplace don't behave. And a lot of the people that work with me are people who never had the opportunity to earn the type of living that they're earning on the Energized Realty Group. Many of them are not college educated, but they have it. And I see it and I love watching them grow. And to be honest with you, Mike, that's my goal. Like, I don't want to sell my business to a franchise. I don't want to sell my business to another company someday. My goal is that somewhere between the next 10 and 13 years, two to three members of my core team have a way 
to gain ownership of the company. I don't know whether I'll stay in it to some degree or not. Um, I love my work, but I'm looking to help the people on my team who have helped me grow the Energized Realty Group benefit from the ownership opportunity. So that's maybe the secondary reason why I work the way I do and I have the convictions that I have today. Judy, why have you been so successful? That's a good question. (laughs) I think that one of the things that growing up with Holocaust survivors teach you And here's a real be honest. Between my mother and my father, there have been seven marriages and six or seven divorces. So that has to tell you something about my upbringing. I'm the product of my mother and father's second marriage. So that has to tell you something else about sort of seeing a lot of different broken families. And I think what made me successful is that I always was very committed to working very hard and to be willing to take risks. Freedom is a very big driving force for me. I'm sort of less interested in security than I am in freedom, freedom of choice, freedom to do the things you've always dreamed of doing. Um, I was always very visionary about getting married once, but I always kind of knew by the way I grew up that I couldn't necessarily count on someone to take care of me, that I had to learn how to take care of myself. And I think that growing up the way I did, I learned that the only way to be sure that you're taken care of is to work hard, be consistent in what I do, be persistent in everything, and be willing to take risks. And I think about those things every day. As the child of Holocaust survivors, to some degree, I live in fear. That's kind of upbringing. I live in fear and in hope all the time. So I never let myself completely relax when I'm around my business. My business helps me fund my life. And the life I have and the life I give to my husband and to my daughter is the highest priority to me. And the coolest thing is that those were the highest priorities to me even before I ever met my husband or had my daughter. I kind of knew that that was my role in life. And now after 52 years, I'm pretty good at wearing that dress. Well, Judy... You definitely work hard. There's no question about that. But I've got to assume you also take some time off. Do you ever take time off? I do. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. In the first few years of my business, I'd say maybe five or six years, because I don't forget, I had really big goals. As a brand-new agent in 1987, which was a really long time ago, 
I told my broker, who was my only broker, my only mentor, that if I didn't make $52,800 at the end of my first year, at the age of 23 and a half, I was out of here. So those were big goals as a brand new agent in 1987, you know? So... I was willing, I was telling everybody I, that I would work so hard for them and what I lacked in, in experience, I would make up for in energy and enthusiasm. And there were times that I would go on appointments with a sleeping bag in my arms saying, you should hire me because I will do anything to work for you. I'll sleep over if you want me to. You know, I would do crazy things in the beginning and I was very fearless and I did not take a lot of time off. I tell people, um, you know, you should hire me because I'll work 24-7 for you. I'm not married. I have no kids. I have no life. Real estate, my life. But as time went on, and I worked smarter, I started to commit to taking at least one day off in the middle of the week and a half a day off at a minimum on the weekend so I could be like a regular human being. Now I insist that each one of my team members, whether they're new or not, take anywhere between one and a half and two full days off and that they will have coverage and help from either myself or another team member. And that's unheard of for most agents in my marketplace. And I'm proud to say that after as many years as I've been in the business and with the wonderful team members that I have that are committed to my rest and well-being because they feel that it benefits them when I'm relaxed, I take almost three months off a year. I have a beautiful home that my husband and I have worked very, very hard to make a reality out of a dream on the Connecticut shoreline. And I have a daughter that I yearn to spend time with and have yearned to spend time with for many years. So for about seven years, it's been consistently growing the amount of time I take off. But I'm at just over two and a half months where I almost never come into the office. I'm always there for my team because as I told you, I love them, but that's not work. That's a pleasure to talk to them and coach them and give them some input on how they can handle something. And there are some months that they do better when I'm not here. I also try very hard to take both Saturday and Sunday off. I'm not going to lie, there are times where I break my rule or when I am on the phone to help work something out or to wrap something up, Um, but that's par for the course. What professional do you know that doesn't sometimes handle things on the evenings or weekends? I know high-powered attorneys that went to school for seven years who are professionals that have to handle business on occasion. But for the most part, I take weekends off and I have one what I call relaxing day a week. It's usually either Wednesday or Friday, like today, where I might pop in 
but I pop in, I'm in my gym clothes, I'll leave, I'll go take care of several things, and then I might come back if I want to, but it's like a relaxing day. So when you think about it, you know, I may seem like the hardest working realtor in Queens, but the truth is that I'm very fiercely protective of my downtime, just as I'm fiercely protective of my business time. Judy, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? The first thing that I did when I started in business was commit to some education that other agents say they don't bother with. (laughs) So I would start listening to, I did, I started listening to tapes like this one. I started listening to scripts and dialogues and I started learning them. I practiced them. I memorized them word for word because there are only five or six real objections that you get from a seller and maybe another five or six that you get from a buyer. And the rest is rapport building. And if you can master your scripts and dialogues and you can be consistent in your work ethic and you can be persistent in your follow-up skills and your willingness to prospect, but to make it a job you know, you know, like I said, people say real estate is flexible. You know, yes, it can be very flexible at a certain point in your career, but you got to pay your dues. And those are the things that in real estate constitute your dues. It doesn't matter what type of prospecting you do, but you've got to be prospecting. You've got to schedule your phone calls or schedule your canvassing or schedule your community commitments so that you're visible, so that you're not shy. Tell people that you're in real estate. That's part of your job and commit to it on paper. Write your goals down. Learn your scripts and dialogues. Be committed to them. Don't wing it. You know, the learning curve is much larger if you're winging it. And unfortunately, human nature is such that if you don't see success in what you consider a reasonable time period, you'll start to believe that this isn't the business for you. And it could be the business for so many people, but they just don't discipline themselves to the principles of real estate, which is prospecting, listing, selling, negotiating, and making capital investments in the mind. Well, Judy, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? The only thing I could say is that real estate, especially for me, residential real estate, is one of the most amazing career paths that anyone could take. You know, what are you doing? Well, first of all, you're helping people with the largest business decision that most people will ever make in their life, 
which is where they're going to live, whether they're moving in or moving out. And what other business is there where you can go into what I call you incorporated, whether you work for a franchise, a small boutique company, whether you open up your own practice, whether you join a team, at the end of the day, it's you incorporated. What other business is there where you can start with very little capital? All you have to do is become your own boss But you've got to be a good boss to yourself, one that expects a lot from yourself and one that holds you to a commitment and to a standard and to a discipline. And you've got to learn your scripts and dialogues. You've got to learn how to introduce yourself to people and how to listen. And you can do all this, to be honest, without necessarily having a big expensive education, or if you are well-educated, you can take this and really become a lion or a lioness in your field. If you have a special skill that has to do with finance or a special skill that has to do with marketing, you can go all the way with it. So it's been a blessing for my life. The only thing I have to remind the world of is that it is not an easy business because you've got to be assertive. You've got to be politely direct and you've got to demand a lot from yourself and know how to read people. But if you do that, really and truly from a little girl who grew up in Lefrak City, a housing project in Queens, no college education, I'm living proof that the sky is the limit in this business. Well, Judy, you've come a long way from the young lady who ran out of money, had to jump the turnstile, decided you were going to stop paying the world, and instead have the world start paying you. You imagined a vision of a world you wanted to build, with a family and resources to fund a wonderful life. And you did it. You love your family. You love your team. You love your VVIPs. And they all love you. You have a wonderful business model and a great life. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 68 homes last year worth $40 million. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. 
Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.